Hey, Broadway bitches. This is our Les Miserables episode, part two. In this episode, we pick up just before the end of act one, when we first meet Marius, Eponine, and the other students. If you want to get up to speed, be sure to check out part one, which should be right below the link you had to click to listen to this part. Enjoy! It's Welcome to It's Broadway, bitch. I'm Alana. I'm the Broadway. I'm Christina. I'm the bitch. This is a podcast where I, Alana, the theater expert, explain the plot of a musical to Christina, the willfully ignorant. Christina will weigh in on her initial thoughts. Then we'll go watch the musical with varying degrees of sobriety. We then reconvene and Christina gives us the hot take. And then we have another time jump, right? Yes, and we it's it's eight or nine years, it's something like that that they've been hiding. It's this they're now in Paris. I don't know where they were before, but now it's Paris, and we get look down again. Yes, we do. Yeah, oh, I forgot the motif. In, the music motif in this is actually pretty good. When it's the actual music numbers where there's music happening and like action, and it's it because this is an opera where music is plot, and I'm okay with that. I that's something that I actually really enjoy. In the big numbers, I'm on board with most of them. Look down yeah. is good. It's the the talk singing that I cannot stand. Where yeah, where they're just like chatting. Yeah. I get what you mean. But yeah, this is where we meet Gefrosh. This is where we meet all of the students. We get Enjolras, who's the one who who's the student that like leads the whole revolution. We meet Marius, who's wildly important. Can I just say I'd fuck every single one of those college age boys? I- right? <laughs> so well cast. They so are perfectly so cast. Every single one. Oh my god. And then the little kid, if, what was his name? It starts with a G. Gaffrosh. Dash Gaffrosh. So cute. So well cast. Oh my god. Everything about the casting in this particular part is so good. So and this and this kid fucking knocks it out of the park. And you've seen the Into the Woods movie, right? Yes. This is Jack. This is the same kid. He had a good couple of years. Wow. <laughs> he was in this first and it really sparked a lot for him. And like a- He doesn't really, this is, this is one of the few things where I'm like, okay, I'm not annoyed at this kid, but he serves a purpose in the plot telling, whereas I don't think that a lot of other kids serve purposes in plot telling. Yeah, and um, Gaffrosh is a iconic role, iconic child role. Um, some people you may recognize who have played Gaffrosh in the past on Broadway, Nick Jonas, Oh, that's hilarious. Are Nick Jonas, serious? it was like his very first little thing that he did when he was little. He was in a broad he was on Broadway, Gaffrosh. Like before he was like, he was like of Jonas Brothers fame. Yes. How dare he? I'm angry about that. Yeah, he was like 10 or whatever. Um, and do you watch Stranger Things? I did not, but you could tell me someone and I would I can't know. Dustin, the little kid with the teeth that are uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was also Gaffrosh. He can sing extremely well, is like a secret thing about him. Goddamn. Yeah. Some notable Gavroshes. <laughs> well, let's just have it be said. I would fuck Nick Jonas right now. I would. He's about the same age as me. <laughs> let's and just put it on record. <laughs> I know that he's married to, a, like, I believe she's Pakistani Priyanka Chopra. He, yeah, Priyanka Chopra. She's beautiful, this supermodel. But if he ever wanted to, I'd be down. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm here. I'm available for him. <laughs> he's so hot. He's so hot. Um, yeah, good job with child acting. We don't have a plethora of children. Um, the He plays a really important role. And I think it also, it, it does the thing that I think about a lot where like kids had to be adults early. 
really yeah. really early and like we're in a, a gigantic revolution where people are losing their lives and he's saying words that like when you and I were five years old saying these words or nine years old saying these words when you were singing these songs you didn't understand the words that you were saying yeah um, and he even I don't truly think that like the child actor knows the words that he's saying I think he's just being taught how Cute. to to pronounce things but he does give the impression of like a kid who has been around the block you know been around the world and back and he's like he's actively part of the revolution he helps these students like do shit you know well he's the dark-haired one's young younger brother in some way right i don't know if they're actually related um that's a choice i don't think it's like written in the script i think they might just be like little buds it doesn't super matter all i know is that man with dark hair and green eyes can just do anything he wants i love him i think his name is grant hair but either way i was into it yeah (laughs) whatever his name was i was was, here the other one who was like the one who had curly hair um who was like blondish not yeah um the the main the the main guy yeah he reminded me baby he reminds me so much of Mary from from um, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like one of the hobbits. I guess physically, maybe I could see that. I, here's the thing. You and I have had this conversation many times where I'm like, this is the same person. And you're like, nope, same energy, different people. That <laughs> is a similar like facial. Yeah. Like, I, I sort of see it. Um, um, but I thought he was so cute, too. And I was like, ugh. Aaron Tveit is the current, like, straight boy darling of Broadway. All of the 14-year-olds are into that. And me. I'm also into him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he He's around a lot. He is currently, at least, like, when Broadway was happening, um, he is in Moulin Rouge, and he's Christian. He's the main guy in that. Interesting. <sighs> Whoa! That was so good. The resonance on that one. <laughs> John Bless, indeed. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. And also with you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> anyway, let's get, in, let's get into these really saucy college boys that I love. These really saucy college boys. But yeah, we learn a lot here. General Lamarck is like the actual adult who's like doing the revolution. He's leading it all. He is on his deathbed. Um, the students are freaking out, but the students have a plan to, like, use his death as a signal to really, like, move shit along. And Joress is the leader. We meet Marius, who is, like, the next leader, but more of our, like, he's he's our romantic boy, you know? <laughs> and we get another motif song here, the, like, what is the song? Can you sing it to me? Where it's, like, I'm not sure. Oh, is it the uh, red, the blood of angry men, black, yes. the dawn of ages past? Yeah. That Which song is coming slaps, fully later. Slaps so hard. It yeah. Comes, it, it, honestly, one of my favorite songs, maybe my top song of the entire Really? Time. Yes. I don't red know why. Black. Yeah. It it hit me in a good place. I was like, this is incredible. And it, it, re, it reaches around and comes back like three times. And it's so good. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't realize that it came right there, but you're right. It is where it starts. Yeah, it starts because they're like doing a whole protest out of this funeral procession. And we also learn here that our boy uh, Marius is, he's a wealthy boy. He's a hot, sexy, wealthy boy. Like a secretly wealthy boy, but he is a slave to, according to his parents. Well, he's like, my parents are, you know, slaves to capitalism. So um, I'm not taking any of their rich boy money because I want like a new, I you know, the death to the bourgeoisie. Yeah. 
Um, and we also find out at this time that he's staying at the the inn with what's their faces. Yes, so this is where we see that crossover with the ten RDAs. Mm-hmm. Their kid that they spoiled so much, Eponine, is a big girl now. Um, so fucking in love with Marius, it's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so up on that dick. Which is so hard because I relate so hard, but it's also like, okay, come on. She's active, like, he's 23 and she's actively, like, at least 18. It's like, okay, we can come down from the hormones. We're not 14, okay? And there are so many times they cut a few of them in the movie, but in the musical, there are so many times where Eponine is like, hi, like, you're, you're so smart and great. And he's like, you're such a good friend. And he just, like, so wildly he's like so like like irritatingly unaware like it's not just like i see when i'm turning you down like he just fully does not fucking know because he's an idiot which is she kind of looks like the actress who plays she kept reminding me of vanessa hudgens and she always has ever since i saw this in theaters samantha barks i believe is the most talented person in this film homegirl can fucking sing I, I'm sure that's why she was giving this part, because it has a lot of belting songs. And you mentioned that she has a song that's like every angsty 13-year-old's like, <laughs> he doesn't love oh, yeah. Um We're coming up on that. It's coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> okay, why don't you throw some plot at me so we can get to there? Throw some plot yes. music. I, this is a, the part of the soundtrack that I tend to skip, like this little sequence of songs. I get to look down, and then I skip through a whole bunch. Because we get like the, the game plan, Red and Black. Mm-hmm. Where the students are like, we're gonna, once the mark dies, that's our time to get in there and like fuck shit up, right? Like, we're gonna start the revolution. Somewhere around this time, uh, Valjean and Cosette, played by Amanda Seafried, show up. How do I feel about the casting of Amanda Seafried? I don't, I don't like it at all. I think it was incorrect. So here's the thing, and I think this is very consistent with a lot of the main roles, with the exception of Epony, Epiphany? Whatever. <laughs> Eponine. Eponine. Epiphany. 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 They did the same thing to Amanda Seyfried that they did to Hugh Jackman in the beginning where he tears up his paper where they did not adjust the music to be in a good key for her. It, Cosette is like one of the most famous soprano roles of all yeah. time like first soprano like super high like opera notes yeah and she just does not she can't get into the head voice to do it she not like, at all and <laughs> she and they also put her in a middling place and it's like if you really wanted someone this famous to do it adjust the music so she can do something strange can people really so far <laughs> the it's not there. It's like not I, good. I agree, it's bad casting, but it's also a bad job on whoever like was adjusting the music to not consider her actual voice. Because there are some moments where I'm like, okay, she's doing okay, like okay, sweetie, come through. But like, <laughs> she's just so poorly cast for this part, and then they do nothing to make it better. And it's a bummer because it's a role that I normally do not give a singular shit about. Mm-hmm. Like she's already like. I already feel like whoever plays her has to do the work to make me like her because mm-hmm. I don't care about her storyline all that much. She's so boring. She's so the least character. The sure. least you can do is have her sing good, you know, because I'm yeah. not going to pay any like and great that's just my preference. I'm not into that particular storyline, but like at least make her pretty to listen to. Yeah, she's 
It's not her. It's not her. It's not the actress's fault. It's, it's yeah. I mean, it's not the actress's fault. It's not the part. It, the part is a boring part. It's the least interesting yeah. character, like main character of literally every single one of them. She's the most idealistic, the least complex. She, we, she has it so easy. And, and yeah. well, I mean, after she's rescued from abuse, but we don't yeah. really hear from her at that point. <laughs> um. But just to sort of jam through what happens here, Cosette and Valjean happen upon the scene. They're moving in or whatever. Um, they're still nice and rich. She looks pretty. He looks cool. Uh, Marius sees her. They see each other from across the way. And there's an instant, like, love at first sight sort of connection. Which I love a love at first sight trope, but I also hate it with every fiber of my being. So. I feel exactly the same. <laughs> Everything about that is also my sentiment. Um, Eponine sees this and is like, fuck. I've been working on this dick for so long and just immediately it's swept away. Like, bitch. And it also gets established that uh, the Tenardiers are down on their luck and have not aged well. And so they're also <laughs> like, Monsieur Tenardier is like running all sorts of scams and Eponine is regularly part of those scams. They're doing a lot of thievery, pickpocketing, stealing stuff. Yeah. But Marius sees Cosette and is like, God, I got to talk to her. Eponine, my best, dearest friend. <laughs> Can you do me like a huge solid and uh, give her I this note? I know where note. she lives, yeah. I know where she lives. Give her this note. Uh, put in a good word for me. <laughs> and Eponine is like, fine. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> just say fine. no. <laughs> but she doesn't say no. She says yes. Yeah. And then she, like, is able to orchestrate a meeting. The two of them do meet. They sing a little song about how they love each other. Eponine is awkwardly three feet away being like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> I also love him, but I can't compete with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, it's so weird because this is one of those movies where there's so many different sets. There's so many different, like, ambiances to those different sets as well. This is like a fairy garden, like, with weird magical blue light. Um, because it's yeah, like, I don't know where they live. Like, I don't know how I they think, can like be in hiding and like I think it's supposed to be like the French countryside, because it's I don't know. But um, and then we get into Eponine's Eponine's really big song, right? Yeah, the like the iconic on my own, which is like I'm glad that they picked an actress who could really, really sing, because this song can get real annoying for sure, because it's a little overplayed, but it is extremely iconic. It's rough because it's, even though it's not one that has really stuck with me, I know exactly where it is, why it is, who's singing it. I know that it's like a fine song. It's just a sentiment that it's like, again, a 14-year-old boy wrote what he thought a 14-year-old girl would think. The one thing I will say is in this entire thing, I kept noticing how tiny this girl's waist was. Like, Yeah, they is, cinched her way in. She is so small. I was just like, your head is bigger than it. Sorry, yeah. every other part of you. Uh, Samantha Barks is uh, an actress with a very good career. Um, the thing that she is in right now, at least before Broadway shut down, um, she is Vivian in the Pretty Women oh! musical. Pretty Women? Like the, the, the what's her name? The the yeah. Julie. Yeah, her. Uh, yeah. Why, what's her name? Why can't I remember? A very famous lady, but for some reason her name is Julie Roberts. Is Julie Roberts. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I thought you, when you said pretty women, I thought you were me meaning little women. And I didn't remember 
there being a Vivian. I didn't remember that Julia Roberts' name in that movie was Vivian. And the only Vivian that I remember was from Legally Blonde. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, how are Little Women and Legally Blonde the musical coming together to form? <laughs> um but yeah no she plays vivian which is it's a musical that's like okay um but she sings well so that's good yeah but yeah she sings a little song i don't have much else to say about it she's very very sad her she world cannot yeah her her world cannot function without the presence of marius and so this is like a big old bummer um and it resonates with me because i was once a 13 year old theater kid so it's just always gonna hit somewhere yeah. We all have that angst. But then she decides to cross-dress. She binds her breasts. And I'm just like, yo, man. And she's like, I'm going to become part of the revolution. And she still, like, remains in Marius's life. And he was just like, ah, a new friend. Yeah, he is. Because he's dumb as shit. He's dumb as rocks. <laughs> Which is so hard. I think Eddie Redmayne is, like, so... and so so hot i'm so attracted to him in every capacity and i he's like kind of a good person from what i've seen from my very little fangirling about him so i want to just be on his side for everything but i'm like oh why are you such a stupid man yeah but this is where like part of what you're saying that decision that she makes to cross dress happens in the song one day more which is probably my favorite song in the whole fucking thing it's that huge ensemble piece where everyone is singing everyone. together mm-hmm. because the next day, you know, the revolution starts. They're going to start building the barricade. Um, Javert is also like, I'm going to dress up as this. He, he, this is when he also makes the plan to like, because he wants to spy. Yeah, he, he's, he hasn't found Jean Valjean, has he? He's sort of over that right now. Yeah, the he's new, like, yeah, he's the new threat. But like now he's in Paris as like captain of the guard. And he's like, well, I got to find out what the kids are doing to go against the state. And so, he's, yeah. He's being a sneaky, sneaky boy. <laughs> yeah, he's going totally, like, weirdly rogue. Like, that was not, like, a military plan that they made. He just decided on his own. Like, I'm going to play for the other team as a spy for the monarchy for the state because we're going to crush this. Which is unhinged in its own way, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is a wild, tangle, tangled plot line. A lot of stuff happens, and it all kind of culminates in this huge scene they sing red and black a few times the big big song that they sing after one day more is do you hear the people sing which is arguably the most famous song in the whole thing honestly my up there it's so good it's such a good song it's it's a goosebump song for sure it definitely is and it's it brought me back to remembering that i did not care at all about this in the two previous and now i have favorite songs in it like this is a good song it slaps hard. this is the act one closer like this is what you hear before the curtain closes for intermission and this is what you're <laughs> left with it's good it's very especially one day more into do you hear the people sing like those together is a very emotional 10 minutes for me <laughs> we didn't we miss a song earlier where sasha baron cohen found Eponine outside and was like you fucking whore yeah I skip it because I don't like it all that much um but the movie also skipped it and I think it's yeah yeah no I texted you because it's like a whole song in the thing where it's Tenardier like running a scam and he's gotten Eponine in the scam and they're gonna rob Jean Valjean basically and Cosette and and Eponine's like "Mm, I kind of know them can we maybe not do that and he's like, no, we're going to fucking do that, of course. And she's like, but don't do it because my boy loves her. And he's like, we're going to do it. And she's like, well, then I'm going to scream. I'm going to let him know. 
And so in the movie, it's it yeah. jumps right into like, a, I'm going to scream right now. And then he's like, you fucking slut. And it makes no sense. But it's because she ruins the scam that they're going to run. Yeah. And then we have Jean Valjean and um, Cosette on the run, which is like operative later. And so separately, we have this whole barricade board forming. And we have... Yeah, that all happens before. Like, that's the precursor to On My Own. Because yeah. we see that she's sad. Yeah. Um... Zephanina's sad. <laughs> Which is her main function. But yeah, after do you hear the people saying, that's when they really, are, that's when they build the barricade. That's when like they're like, it's fucking go time. Everyone throw your shit out of your windows. We're building this barricade. I'm not totally sure exactly the function of the barricade other than just like to disrupt. Um, I don't know what they're blocking them from, you know, other as just like a military bunker for them. Well, I think it's I think it's um the military strategy of like there's this military strategy where like if you are low in numbers but you have good fighters and the other side has a lot of fighters, you will go to a place that is very narrow that doesn't allow for a lot of battle. So the numbers doesn't actually benefit them. And so I think it's part of it is like there's only so many French troops that they can in this small square. And I don't the thing that I don't really know about the French Revolution is like I know that it happened and I know like small bits and pieces, but it's not like the American revolution where it was an active war against there. This is a small battle. Um, And I don't really understand how just in general, how revolutions form in a way that is like controlled enough and organized enough to like create systematic change in this way. But I believe that the barricade is simply a protection. It's simply to draw, like make a stand, make demands and like create an instigating incident with the French army. Yeah. um, To speak on that point a little bit, I think, I think part of the point of this show is that this particular section of students that are part of the revolution, it's not like the revolution that changed shit. Mm-hmm. I think this was just like a tiny faction that ultimately loses because there's not that many of them and people it's not far enough into the revolution where the people around them got scared and didn't help. And so they, you know, they died. Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah, it wasn't like the big one. It was like a small one that could be crushed easily. And yeah. We get invested in everybody that's there, but it's like a tiny pocket of what's actually happening. Yeah, and everyone dies except for Marius, and that's the yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a big bummer of a song there. We, but we'll get we to hit, it. Yeah, we'll <laughs> go. I'm really skipping plot points, so fill me in. Yeah, we'll jam that. through it because I, I I know what you want to talk about because we get a lot of various attacks um, mm-hmm. that we sort of jam through. Um, so we build the barricade. Everyone's throwing shit out of their windows. Everyone's pumped. They're like, we're going to fucking do it. Everyone on this street is like on board with these kids that are doing this. Javert shows up. He's dressed like them. And he's like, I used to work for the police and I hate them now. And I'm going to tell you what they're doing. They're planning on not attacking you tonight. And Gaffrosh is like, you liar. <laughs> and yeah. he shows up and he sings his little, little song, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he sings his little jazzy little people. And then we're like, hey, kill him! <laughs> <laughs> and we hold him. I forget what we do with Javert at that point. If we capture him or if we let him... We, they, they're hold- yeah, they're holding him hostage. Yes, because you're right. That's important later. Mm-hmm. Um, they hold him hostage. Um, there is an attack from the police because Javert was a fucking liar and they are fully attacking tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do attack and Eponine gets shot. Eponine, I think, is trying to give 
I, this is where I stopped paying attention to her. Um, but she was trying to give some sort of letter to him or deliver a letter somewhere. And so she like crawled onto the barricade to like talk to him and she gets shot. I um, think she's just trying to be part of the act. Like at this point, she, I, yeah, she's still holding candle, but I think like the main thing is she's just trying to be part of the action and close to him. And so that is, she doesn't actually perform like a function. She's just there and she gets shot and she's like, I was at pain, save me. And also at this point we have the kid gasp. Gaston. <laughs> he, I think, is not yet. I'm pretty sure he's the first one. He's the second one. I know because I'm looking at the list that says the second attack, in parentheses, death of Gafrosh. Okay. Because he hurt, he's supposed to hurt more. Yeah. She dies, and she died having been allies between Marius and Cosette. And Cosette was like, hey, we're moving. We're leaving here because the police are after us or whatever the fuck. And they're yeah. hiding. And she's like, please give this to my lover, Marius, for me. And because and Eponine is like, sure thing, bro. Then she binds her, her chest and is just like, I'm going to be around. I'm going to be chill. I'm going to be part of this. It's going to be cool. And then she gets shot. And she's like, hey, will you hold me and love me for my last moments? But also while you're doing this, I'm going to give you a letter so you know that you focus on something else. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's all starting to come back to me now. Um, so Eponine's dead and we're sad. They sing Drink With Me, which is a nice little song. It's not a hugely important song, but it is kind of a nice little interlude um, that the students sing. It's mostly Enjolras and Marius and then Valjean is sort of there about like, you know, drink with me. Today's gone by. Things kind of suck out yeah. there, but at least we have this right now. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little simple it's, song. Well, it's also kind of um, it's a musical motif. It, it calls back to other songs. Yeah, it does. And then this is where shit gets wild. <laughs> um, because the next morning, there are more police officers coming and they're losing and it's raining and they're losing their gunpowder. So that's when Gaffrosh is like, I'm gonna get that gunpowder that's out in front of the barricade. <laughs> and everyone's like, don't you fucking dare. And he's like, I got this little people are going to say of the day, it's going to be chill. They're not going to shoot me because I'm a little boy. Right. And then he goes and he gets it. And then they like shoot him a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it is one of the only child deaths that really hurts. Because <laughs> they kill him in cold blood. They, like, do. they didn't have to shoot him, but they chose to. Yeah. It was like clearly not really a threat. Yeah. A little before this is when Valjean also sings Bring Him Home, which is a very important song. Yeah, well, it's because he finds out that like Cosette isn't, is a grown ass woman now. And he, and like wants to bang. Yeah. yeah. Like he and Marius are like an old thing. And he fully is like, well, this is my new life's mission is to make her like my, it was always to make her happy. But now I just need to make sure that he's around to yeah, it's very like, if, you know, if I die, let me die. Bring mm-hmm. him home. Let yeah. him live through this so that Cosette has a future, essentially. And yeah, and we also, like, from other contexts know that, like, he and Cosette are hiding in an apartment that they have that's somewhere close to this battle that's happening. And so he's like, whatever, I'm going to be in this battle and I'm going to be, like, protecting Marius the whole time. I'm going to be his guardian angel. It's not necessarily that I believe in everything that they're saying, which I think he yeah. kind of does. But he's he's also like, I just got to be here to make sure that you're around to fuck my daughter at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know how dads are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Now now we're cooking with gas here. So when Gaffrosh dies, that mm-hmm. same battle, 
Mm-hmm. Marius also gets shot, like yep. fatally so. And so Valjean is like, shit. <laughs> so he, that's when he like picks him up like fire yeah. fire style and they go into the sewers. Yeah, which is... Ugh. Valjean and Javert do meet at some point. They meet, well, because Valjean is, um, he's like in the bear game pr- protecting Marius. And that's when he sees Javert. And Javert's like, you! You're right, you're right. And it's it's the um, Sasha Baron Cohen who's in the sewers, like collecting literal gems out of shit that's right um and he witnesses like javert gets caught he's being held captive jean valjean joins the fight and they're like it's up to you to do whatever you want and jean valjean's like i'm not gonna kill this guy i'm gonna let him go you're right because that's what really fucks javert up yeah that's what he can't get over yeah (laughs) and so like what while just after this is happening javert has his own little like crisis and then jean valjean is like i gotta you know what would be great for this gunshot wound is for, to submerge him in infected shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, oh my god, the least sanitation that could happen. So he yeah. dumps um, Eddie Redmond's body into literal poo. Sasha Baron Cohen steals Eddie Redmond's ring and then it's yeah. like, oh, hello, hilarious that a body is dead. And then he sees Jean Valjean pick Eddie Redmond up out of the shit. And I was like, it's you. You're alive. You were the one who bought Gazette. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one who, like, stole my child. Valjean's like, oh, I'm tired for this right now. <laughs> yeah. Continue from here. The important thing, though. You're right that Javert and Valjean come face to face. Javert's life is in Valjean's hands. And Javert's like, just fucking kill me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Be free. Get out. And Javert is so fucked up by the idea that a criminal could be not a criminal for one second that everything about what he's ever known about law enforcement like can't compute this and so he literally throws himself off of a cliff and dies let's talk about this for like five seconds because we have a lot to get back to but we learn a lot in like one aggressive soliloquy before he like so aggressively hits the water um we learned that he was like born to a prostitute in a prison or something of that sort um and that is why his life's goal was to like be a police officer and uphold the law was because he he didn't want to be he was born out of sin or whatever yeah something like that and he just thinks apparently really poorly of his mother but you know whatever um yeah a prostitute is was i assume a crime at that time yeah and he gets real fucked up because he's in the place of like (laughs) maybe i'm the bad guy is what i've been doing bad but he it's not even that self-reflective it's just the singular action of one other person doing something outside of what he can comprehend is enough to make him want to kill himself and then he does and his body like split in half so, yeah, the staging of that in the movie was so fucking unnecessary. We hear the crack of his spine as he, like, hits the ground. It's so stupid. It's so we don't loud. even watch that. It takes away from what is supposed to be an extremely powerful moment where this member of law enforcement can't hack anything outside of what his job is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, so, I mean, outside of the cracking spine resonates really weirdly in this current political climate yeah (laughs) 
it, it's a, it's another thing of like we'll talk about this but it's the character the character development the writing of these characters they're so interesting and also bad and i want to explore <laughs> it more but it is like a very salient moment that like you and i did have a long discussion about like the relevance yeah. of this today and how interesting it is that like this is not a new piece. It's a book that's pretty old with music that was written in the 80s and then a TV version that came out in 2012. And now we're in 2021 discussing the effects of the police state and also religion because we have another fun thing where religion comes back into it. Yeah. Um, and the ability of people to be saved or to be damned because that also plays into Javert's th- thinking as he's like, well, am I going to be damned? damned if i do damned if i don't essentially yeah. and not just like oh funny like actually like ro- roasting in the pits of hell kind of damned it's a very interesting dichotomy yeah that's this this song it's just why i think that he is an important character it's so weird that it's the the relevancy of it it's just a really weird thing to be bringing up right now in the wake of all the police brutality well I protests think, yeah yeah i mean i think it's it gives voice to this idea that the human experience is unique at every turn and when it's not and these battles battles that people have been fighting have been going on forever and the only people who don't think these battles are being fought are the people who are not directly affected by them yeah and people who don't understand that they're even participating in them who don't realize that they're perpetrating hate crimes it's tough when the bad guy thinks he's the good guy yeah that's when it is really really tough he really thought he was the good guy doing the right thing and I think that that is, that is the most important role that he does play in this. And yet, I still think the character himself is poorly written. And I respect that. And Russell Crowe, honestly, he does the best that he could do. But it's at every single point, anytime he opens his mouth, it's a snore fest. He doesn't really enunciate, so the words aren't always the most clear. And also just the way that he delivers is just not interesting. I don't like his music. So this is why I wanted you to have um, experience with something that wasn't the movie. Because the portrayal of Javert that I'm familiar with, that I've seen on stage time and time again, it's why Russell Crowe is like a weird choice. Because Russell Crowe is a little gruff. His voice is kind of gravelly. He looks a little rough around the edges. The Javert that is normally portrayed on a Broadway stage is like, so like put together calculated everything is so logic out there is no room for like being like a that's why it's feels so weird that he would like choose to go rogue and become like a spy for the other side that's like a weirdly out of character thing it shows that he's slipping Mm -hmm. when he is so a product of the state everything is manicured everything he's memorized all of the penal codes Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about that super, like, cold and calculated mm-hmm. version of it that I think resonates better. And so Russell Crowe's sort of, like, gruff, uh, more, like, I play by my own rules sort of thing doesn't quite hit for me. Because yeah. it makes him seem more like just, like, a fucked up guy mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who's such a product of the state that as soon as something wavers that shows maybe the state is broken, he can't hack it. He can't mm-hmm. process it to the point where he can't live in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, like, I'm so, like, in the camp of, like, he's a good character. He's just portrayed weird. 
not like a good character, but I, I, he's I think an interesting he's... character. He, he adds value to the this particular plot, and that's exactly why I did not want your first interaction to be Russell Crowe. <laughs> but that's okay. That's life. Well, I think it. I think this particular movie, like right now, this movie that we watched a few days ago together really made me reflect on the entirety of this experience of watching musicals with you and like what I have learned and how I have traveled in this journey. And I think that's something that we'll talk about after we finish the plot, um, because I have a lot to say. Cool. Um, well, we're almost done. So let's yeah, jam we are. Because we have Eddie Redmayne and Marius singing a lot in the next, and you were just, you made your special comment about Kermit, and Matt did his thing where he likes to read our text exchange because he thinks it's funny. <laughs> and he was like, I can't not hear it now. I can't not hear him sound like Kermit. He does have a Kermit quality to his voice, which is so unfortunate. <laughs> it just didn't bother me as much as it seemed to bother you and Matt, but it was really funny after you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> Um, but he does get his big song, which is Empty Chairs at Empty Tables, which I just have to share that uh, the very, at least the first couple of verses, is the same motif that the bishop sings in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the empty chairs at empty tables and on the floor, like that is yeah, the same oh, thing. Well, because we didn't hit, um, after the kid, Gastrius. I'm sorry, Gastrius? I, yeah. <laughs> I was trying not to say Gaston. I work in, work in gastrointestinal stuff. Like, I, After he kills in this battle where Marius has um, been saved, essentially, we see a whole process. Like one of his friends dies from a gunshot like in the same battle. The other two of his friends like are attacked in their parlor. Um, and like shot or thrown out a window or whatever the fuck. So oh yeah, and Joel Ross is killed in a very aggressive way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a real bummer. <laughs> yeah, so we've had all of these deaths really like centralized to one specific place, and then we awake, we awaken to Marius being like healed and realizing all of his friends are dead. Yeah, Marius being like, "What the fuck happened?" While well, I was unconscious, you know, <laughs> and, and like, what, what, why do I get to live? Is the other thing he has a lot of survivor's yeah. guilt. Yeah. So, and and we also really start to meet the Jean Valjean leaving again. We start to meet that that storyline again. Yes. Um, and so this kind of all happens in the same breath because Jean Valjean saved Marius. And now he and Marius and Cosette are like in love and they're planning their wedding. And Jean Valjean is like, I got to fucking go, man. Yeah, but uh, you want to hear a secret? <laughs> <laughs> And here's why you can never tell anyone, because it'll ruin my daughter. Which, again, we come back to the way that a reputation carries so much more weight in this yeah. world. Um, we saw it with Fontina. Fontina? Fontine? Fontine. Close enough. Fontina is like a food. <laughs> it's Fontine. It's not, yeah. the, which it's I not believe the, is a kind of cheese. I was going to say, I think cheese. it's a cheese. Um, yeah. But we come again to like a reputation. And for some reason, this would ruin her like he she doesn't already have all of the money in the world to just maintain her status you know but yeah we have a, a long story that's being told by jean valjean to marius yeah if jean valjean is like let's start at the fucking beginning like even the point where he's it's like a who am i callback he's like who am i and marius is like you're jean valjean which is yeah. no who, you like that name wouldn't mean anything to you you were not yeah. born when that happened but <laughs> what's so funny to me is when you said let's start at the very beginning i jumped into sound of music <laughs> a very good place to start <laughs> 
Um, and so we have all of these realizations not happening at the same physical time, but happening at the same like emotional time for us as the viewer, where Marius is like, everyone's dead. Jean Valjean is leaving. He's also Jean Valjean. Yeah. <laughs> and then we don't, is it now that we just basically skip into this wedding? Yeah, there's a little bit, like, they do a little, like, heartful of love reprise where it's just, like, you're getting healthier and, like, time was passing and now we're going to get married and it's going to be rad. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, we do have the wedding corral, which I can't believe anyone is at this wedding. Like, all of his friends are dead and, like, her dad's not there. Like, who's here? Who are these people? <laughs> it's a very opulent wedding. It's so funny as well. <laughs> who's paying for it? Like, Well, he's left Cosette a bunch of wealth and from what we know... Um, Marius is from a wealthy family, and I'm assuming- Yeah, was he just like, I'm going back on the whole, like, I'm I, I'm not cut off anymore, like, pay for me, daddy, like, are we back there? Well, I, it's, the thing about this is, another reason it reminded me of, like, an Andrew Lloyd Webber thing, is that the plots don't meet an end. There's no resolution to a lot of them, and we're introduced to a lot of side characters without really any reason for it. So, like, we're introduced to this, like, whole revolution, this, like, um- being cut off and then all of a sudden we're at this very opulent wedding again and there's no resolution to like the revolution his place in it whether or not like he's been accepted into the family blah 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 yeah i mean the resolution to the revolution is that they lost you know because everyone died in like a really graphic way so i guess because he's rich he's just like i changed my mind i'm back in you know (laughs) yeah and um there's like a whole bunch of like nobles and stuff, and we see the funny guys. Our friends, the Tenardiers, as we do get a last a last look at them. <laughs> oh, they're in their shining moment. They're so beggars at so the good. feast. And they do another um iteration of like Master of the House, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they do just just so we get one last look at them, you know? <laughs> oh, and it, the costuming, great. They're wearing like they're they've painted wigs, they're wearing hairs. Like and the white makeup and like the drawn on moles. And <laughs> it's so funny because it is the picture of French aristocracy that we would like Tim Burton would paint today. And it was so opposite, like perpendicular to literally the clothing of every single other person there. <laughs> and Marius is like what are you fucking doing here and Tenardier is like hey do you want to pay me for some spicy information and Marius is like whatever like sure and Tenardier is like well um like a-, a while ago when there was that whole like revolution happening I saw Jean Valjean carrying a dead body through and here I can even prove it I stole this ring off of the dead body and Marius is like that's mine <laughs> I've been looking for that shit. <laughs> and this is like, I, this is where everything comes together for Marius. He gets the whole story. And now he's like, and we don't really talk about the, what are they? What are the twins called again? The twins? <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen and Hel- Helena Bon Bonham Carter. The Tenardiers. The Tenardiers. Um, we don't really see them again. They get thrown out. It doesn't really matter. Uh, that's just all the re- the resolution we need from them, honestly. I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's fine, but we get like he's trying to blackmail Marius with this information. Like, if you don't if you don't pay me, I'm gonna tell the whole world that I saw this. And Marius is like, You're hilarious. Um and so <laughs> like, fucking leave me alone, dude. <laughs> he takes Cosette away from their reception, like on the day that they're getting married, and brings her to somehow he knows it's the church or whatever. 
Monastery. And we just like know that he's dying too. They just yeah. like happen to know that Valjean is just like just dying. <laughs> it's time. Well, we saw earlier he like when he's leaving that he's like stumbling while carrying something heavy, and it's another motif of like he's supposed to be strong, but now he's not strong anymore because and he's, he's old as shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been like a long time. <laughs> They make Hugh Jackman look the least attractive that he's ever looked in this entire movie. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he's like gray and dying and he's in the monastery essentially. And is it? it's almost like the same priest who's like, yeah, come in. It's him. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's on purpose. And yeah. it, I don't think it needs to be realism where like he's just still alive. I think it's just because there's all sorts of dead people that are coming back right around this time. <laughs> yeah. And I forget what really happens with the exception of like Fontaine is singing too. Um, um, and in the musical, uh, Eponine comes back too. And it's a very beautiful little thing, but they just left her out, I guess. Just fuck her. <laughs> yeah, and it's basically like, you know, all of your favorites are coming back. Valjean is the one person who's like, I'm ready to die. Mm-hmm. Like, all these people are greeting me because it's actually my time now. And he does die, and he is, you know, walking over here while uh, Amanda Seyfried and Eddie Redmayne are crying over his dead body in the wheelchair. And it goes into the finale do hear the people sing where everybody sings on the street everyone who's dead all the students who died gaffrosh is there they're on that weird elephant that was just in the courthouse the the square for whatever reason and we get a beautiful do you hear the people sing reprise and it's very beautiful it was so good honestly the closest to to crying slash goosebumps it's it's right here and it's interesting because something that the movie did not do that you literally just told me it was i i didn't process that Jean Valjean was the only death where he was like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, the movie did not else, do that yeah, very well. Everyone else gets either a really tragic death that's too early, or we get Marius who was like, why didn't I? Like, I yeah. should have, and I didn't, and I kind of want to, but other than maybe Javert who chose to, but like, uh, yeah, but it was before it's, it's his time. Tragic, it's a tragic end. He, it's yeah. a... It's not the same as, like, I'm ready, I'm at peace with everything. It's, like, I'm so not at peace that I can't exist anymore. It's not a, like, it's my time to die, I've lived a life, I saved a girl, like, I don't know if I'll go to hell or I'll go to heaven, but either way, I did the best that I can with the life that was given kind of deal. And it it is interesting because I think it would have been better if we had had more people who had died other than Fontaine come back. And honestly, Anne Hathaway does a great job. They kind of restore her health. They don't give her back her hair, but they, you know, she looks cute. She's doing a good job singing. She does. <laughs> she looks cute. Truly. I think the person that I expected the least from that I got the most out of was Anne Hathaway. She did the best yeah, job. I agree. But yeah, I wish they had kept um, Eponine in that little ending thing. It's like an incredibly beautiful little trio where all three of them sing together. It's real short, but like would have been nice to see. Yeah, but it was it was a great song. Great ending. Truly an ending <laughs> that is so unrelated to literally anything else that I'm, I'm just happy for the scene by itself. <laughs> well, it's nice because the problem with having like dead people come back when you fall into like the ghost trope, it could have been like everyone wearing white and, and like shining in heaven, and it could have been so cheesy. And I hate that shit. Um, so I appreciate that like 
when Fontaine came back, yeah, she looked a little cleaned up, but she wasn't like wearing white and had beautiful hair. She wasn't like supposed to be an angel or a ghost. Mm-hmm. It was just a vision of when Valjean like last saw her, mm-hmm. just a little less dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and how all of the students, Scafrosh and Joras, got to like be on top of their little elephant in like a position of power and not like, we're up in the sky and we're angels and everything's better here. Like it could have been overtly biblical, like overtly religious, but it was way less cheesy because I hate that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that's the end. And I was like surprisingly moved because again, I came into this expecting to hit every second of it and I did not. I was very surprised, especially because I had seen it twice and not liked it at all. Yeah. Do you have anything specific that you want to talk about right now? I don't have anything. I think I touched on a lot of what I wanted to touch on. But I know you multiple times were like, we're going to circle back to this. So is there anything you want to open the floor to? I think we need to have like a bigger discussion about how far we've come with me understanding musicals and the purpose of what they do for me, what I want from them, and, like, what I think this did versus the very first one of our first season opener, Into the Woods. Um, Because I was thinking about this particular show in this particular, particular showing and how the bar was set at a reasonable level for me. Now that I have all of this experience, I see the flaws. I see, I still don't necessarily like the plot. I don't like the storyline. I think that the character development is too shallow. And it's something that I wish that we were able to explore more because simply the things that are accessible to our audience, to us legally, are things that are written mostly by like white men. Um, And things that are very popular that are going to resonate with a lot of people are things that are written by white men. So even if we explore... Broadway or musical theater or pieces of work that are written by diverse characters, they're not going to be accessible. They're not going to be easy for us to watch and because they haven't been encouraged. Um, and I think it would have been so interesting to save Into the Woods for later because the bar was set both so high and so low for me, where I came into it expecting to hate the absolute shit out of it. And I did. Like, I... Yeah. I I haven't rewatched it since and I probably won't because I stand by where I I was. But the journey that I've come to of what to expect and how to break down the musicals is so different. And when I compare these two, I think on the surface Into the Woods is a significantly better musical. But my experience with this, which is worse in almost every aspect, was better. And I think that that's an interesting place to come to, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to just wrap my my thoughts about that. Um, I don't know if I have any, like, huge response to that, other than that's very insightful. I think that you're right that these two are both, like, Into the Woods and Les Mis are both nothing like each other and a lot like each other. Mm -hmm. Like, in terms of subject matter, but they are both, like, similar levels of epic. And they're also similar levels of like there's no dialogue it's a full opera almost we have into the woods does have dialogue it has and a that's little part bit. of it is that it has like spoke it has like parts in the songs that have singing dialogue but then there is also dialogue so i could see why you would make that seem super redundant because there's both whereas this has actually th- technically no dialogue at all 
Yes. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting to compare between the two is we have so many storylines in both of them and into yeah. the woods even more and into the woods even though i i don't necessarily like think that all of them are necessary they wrap them up and everything kind of reconnects in a way that like i wasn't giving it credit for and in this in a lot of other musicals andrew lloyd webber has really come into the top a lot um in these we are not getting resolutions with characters at all even we're not even getting like a their story continues outside of this we're just like this is the last time we're gonna see them that's all that's it there's nothing important and i think something that we have learned together is like i look for a very specific thing in the musicals that we watch Mm -hmm. um i enjoy when i i like when i can actually like get to the beat of a song but i like a plot line that makes sense i like believable characters and if it's not going to be believable i really want to be taken on an adventure and I think that falls into the like the kind of storytelling that this specific work does. Because even though I had songs that I liked, I think this is a useless story. And you have Into the Woods, which is an escape. It's escapism. It's fantasy. It takes you through classic children's stories. It makes them more interactive. And it gives you a resolution where these characters are living together by the end. And here we are introduced to a lot of characters that don't serve a lot of individual purposes, that don't have a lot of in- resolutions. And the story that they're ultimately giving us is not a fun one. It's not one that like takes us out. At no point do I leave feeling hopeful. I have a response to that as to why how you're feeling is like incredibly correct. <laughs> and it might, it might be intentional. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the focus on the plot of Into the Woods is like, I mean, it plays on your traditional like fairy tale. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end and the idea of happy endings. Mm-hmm. But there is also, especially with like the killing of the narrator, this instance of like your destiny is your own and you have agency and you have choice and you can shape how your life turns out and you have control over how it ends. Mm-hmm. Uh a little different where it's a lot more of like tragic things happening where bad things happen to good people because the world is crazy and you don't get to control that and there is a lot more of like we are just products of the you know world that we're in and especially because you have a group of students who are like we hate the world we're in let's change it and then they don't succeed so it's a lot more of the message of the show of like, we are just trying to deal with what we're given and we're all suffering from the confines of our own world. Whereas Into the Woods, the point was that you have agency in your world. Right. But I think the overall question that I'm trying to tackle in these two opposing plots, opposing messages is like, in the saga of storytelling through the generations, through human, like, human history, storytelling is what we give to each other in order to connect on the human experience and what kind of stories do we enjoy what kind of stories are we looking for and why is it this particular one because here's the thing um i think that this kind of story has relevance to someone who is inexperienced with the world and is ready to be opened up to the tragedy but you and I have had very long discussions. Uh, and I know that like, this is a very specific to me conversation where like you and I both know that 
horrible things happen to people who don't deserve them all of the time. There is no reason. The world is chaos. And there's nothing really that makes anything better. You can't make everything better. All you can do is move forward. Um, And so what place does this have as, I think, one of the classic stories of musical theater you know what why is this important outside of that outside of the like everything sucks and we're sad what does this give what does this add um and I don't know if it really adds very much I think it was just someone who thought about the history and enjoyed the history of the French Revolution and wanted to follow some storylines but I don't know in the purpose of like even oral tradition of human to human talking if it imbibes a lesson you know Yeah, I think the question you're posing is something that's sort of universal in any form of art. I think you could argue the same thing about, like, why do we make certain movies? Why do we make certain books? Mm -hmm. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Some people look to movies and musicals and songs. They want reality and some people want to have escapism. Yeah. Um, Some people just want to, like, feel something. Um, I know a lot of, because I've done enough like hippy-dippy theater workshops where you have to sit down and be like, why do you want to make art? And it always ends up boiling down to like, I want to entertain people. I want to make people feel something. I want to get people thinking about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, It comes down to a very simple, like you just, Mm -hmm. you want someone to just leave like thinking about whatever. And that's the beauty, like musicals also, like a lot of responsibility falls onto the director where like you can have the same musical, but two different directors want you walking home with a different message. You know? I also want to talk about like the messages that we find really interesting from this particular show from Les Mis. It, we touched on the police state and also the role of religion because I, we have actually tackled religion a lot recently. We've like poked at it with, Sister Act, um, Sound of Music. We had uh, Judaism in Fiddler on the Roof. We've had a lot of interesting plays. We had um, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcloak. Like religion in and of itself plays a role in storytelling. It helps organize the chaos. And it's interesting to me because in so many ways, um, the way that people interpret religion, the way that I have seen religion is often as a constraint and not a freedom. And here in this particular show in Les Mis, we see the opposite, where religion is the freedom away from the the police state. And usually in my mind, those two things, identities, institutions are aligned. Yeah. So I find it very interesting overall. Yeah, that comes down to like, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Victor yeah. Hugo. That comes down to, you know, who wrote the original source material and what he was feeling. Yeah, but I, I, I just overall, I, I'm interested. I think I'm in a place now when I'm watching things where like I can appreciate what they are. I'm not necessarily saying I like musicals because again, this musical is everything that I hate about musicals. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying <laughs> that like I liked it, but I did like parts of it. Yeah, and part of why like I like musicals as opposed to like movies is the beauty of having just a script is that you can watch three different productions of Les Miserables and you can walk away with three different messages that the director wanted you to know. That's why being a director is so, like, that's why the director's role is so important because you can choose what specifically you want people to focus on. And there is actually more 
leeway in there than you would think. It's one thing if you do like a remake of a movie, it's just easier to do with a purchasable theater script. It's just easier to replicate and change up a little bit as much as you can. Um, so that's why like I am happy to have seen like several different productions of this show because mm-hmm. people focus on different things. That's yeah. why like Broadway revivals matter. That's why people want to see that you know yeah it's why something like Oklahoma has its time it's not necessarily something that you or I would want to see or think deserves it but it's something that someone deserves to see yeah so that's why I find your question so interesting yeah of like why do we need to see this that is entirely up to the director that's why being a director is such a privilege because you get to choose what you want your audience to focus on so if you're a shitty director (laughs) You know? Yeah, or if you don't have any vision and you're not picking anything to, like, stand out. Yeah, then, then you're like, not why saying... did you even bother? Yeah. yeah. And, like, a lot of the questions that I have are not necessarily answerable, but I think that, you know, coming into our season three, opening with something that, like, you actively hate, I did not enjoy my first two watchings of it, like, at any, at, in any capacity, I have set the bar at a reasonable place to understand and appreciate what I can versus like Into the Woods, I think would be a much different watching for me now. Um, I'm not yeah. going to rewatch it, but I think- I'm would... not going to make you. Yay. Um, but yeah, I just think it's so interesting, you know? Yeah. I think that's the end. That's all I have. Yeah. A good meaty show. A lot of content here. A lot of material to go through. Yeah. You know, Les Mis is always just going to have a special place in my heart. I know that it has its flaws, but it's just so ingrained in me that like, I have a few like, uh, friends that are like musicians and have studied voice and opera, um, who hate Les Mis and think that musically it is not that important or interesting. I have no opinions on that because I'm not trained in that, but it's one of those things where I find myself having to defend my love of this. Because A, it's like a little basic and B, I have a lot of expert musicians that are like, it's not it's not as good as people think that it is. <laughs> I'm on the side of your expert musician friends in that. I just think a lot of the songs are very simplistic. The talk singing is bad. Um, but I also think that you're allowed to love it. It's allowed to be something that you cherish and you can recognize that it's flawed. And the ones that slap really slap. They do. The ones I- that... Are like the goosebump songs, mm-hmm. you know, are real goosebump songs. Yeah. And there's different levels. There's like jaunty ones, there's like feeling ones. It's, it's, it, I can understand why it holds a special place in your heart. And I'm glad that you've seen this now because Lame is so prevalent in pop culture that you're going to start recognizing things that spoof it. I mean, things I, that reference it. Like, I've seen it. I've seen it twice before now. But now that you've like retained it, you know, now that you've like actually watched it, um, you're going to probably start seeing influences of it in other works that we see, especially modern works, more of the comedic works that make fun of it. Um, It's very prevalent in pop culture for sure. Awesome. Cool. I think that we're signing off. So sweet. Yeah, this will probably be a two parter, Um, probably an hour. Just, you know, I love a good Lay Miz, we did it. Season three, baby. <laughs> if you have We're learning any, shit. Yeah, reach out to us. We still haven't gotten any special emails, so And we want to hear from you because we're very interesting and we have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> we like validation from outside sources. We do. 
Um, but yeah, thanks for hanging out as always. Please enjoy our end card and we'll see you next week. You're welcome for listening to It's Broadway Bitch. If you like what we had to say, then please like, rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you have thoughts, feelings, opinions, or stories about theater or what we talked about, you can email us at itsbroadwaybitch at gmail.com. That it's Broadway Bitch with no I in bitch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at it's Broadway Bitch, no I in bitch. And you can follow me, Christina, at chit and chat for pictures of my cats on Instagram. And you can follow me, Alana, on Instagram and Twitter at Alana Fine Woman, like Feynman, but I'm a lady. Special thanks to Katie Braverman for designing our cover art and Jack Larkin for making our theme music. You can follow them at katie.braverman and at jacksterlark on Instagram and check out the episode's description for links. I'm Alana. I'm the Broadway. I'm Christina. I'm the bitch. And we'll see you next time. It's 